Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Welcome. Let's worship together. Please stand.
Liberty Lake Church. I heard we were somewhere else last week. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, my name is John Arwes. Just a few quick announcements. Um, just a tough time, but you know, let's uh, let's also keep in mind our 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 leaders, our our mayor, our governor, our president, all of our doctors uh, on a on a national level that they would uh, that they would like Saul find themselves on the road to Damascus. <coughs> That's your cue to laugh. Thank you. Kids Rock, just a reminder that Kids Rock is now open for kids nursery through fifth grade. Um, youth group will meet tonight at church, at the church here at 530 to 7. Um, tutoring, we're going to have a meeting today after service up in the Family Life Center. So uh, please join us uh, to hear more about this ministry. Uh, family prayer, Tuesday, September 22nd at 530. Uh, join us as we pray together as a body for the body of Christ. Um, the return event, uh, Roy. Uh, John asked me about 30 seconds ago to say something, so here we go. <laughs> if you're not aware of the return, just let me give you just a very brief deal. Um, nationally, the desire to, to see prayer go up for revival of this nation and return to the values that made it great, Judeo-Christian values that are the foundation of this nation, uh, stirred up a lot of national kind of leaders. Uh, months ago, they planned uh, an event on September 26th in Washington, D.C., and called for people to come, load up the, the mall. And <clears throat> they also, at the same time, requested that local people develop their own version of it here. Um, long story short, I, uh, I heard the Lord say to me, Roy, we need to do that. And so I got together with some pastor friends of mine, prayed about it, and they agreed. And lo and behold, the Lord just blew it up into this tremendous thing here at the racetrack on September 26th out at State Line. Um, there'll be two hours there with marvelous speakers, very well-known people from Spokane and Coeur d'Alene region um, that are just, I've met with them all, and it's, it's going to be a tremendous event. The vast majority of the time there will be prayer, your prayer. And uh, we have three basic sections in that. There's going to be prayer for personal repentance. The belief behind the return is that the church is the reason why we have to even have an event like this. We failed. We failed this nation and allowed the, the values that are contrary to what we know is true and what made this nation great become what they are. And so it starts with personal repentance. Then it goes to national repentance, and then finally prayers for uh, revival. And so this, uh, this is an opportunity to join with, we think at this point after the advertising efforts that we've made, thousands of, of people from this region. And if you've never been in an event like that where thousands of people literally on their knees for the Lord, 
watch the Holy Spirit work and feel the Holy Spirit work like that, you're in for something great. And so I just encourage you all, um, 11 o'clock out at the racetrack just across the state line, and uh, come prepared to pray. That's what it's all about. A lot of great worship, great speakers, but mostly prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. There are postcards out there in the in the lobby, too. Um, and for those of you who would like to, to engage in prayer, a group prayer, but are not comfortable going out to a big event like this, Steve Meme has agreed to open up the sanctuary for prayer during that time, so feel free to come here as well. Uh, membership class next Sunday, September 27th, following the service. If you're interested in becoming a member or would just like more information about Liberty Lake Church, uh, please plan to join us. Lunch will be served. And uh, if you would, uh, if you're thinking about joining, if you wouldn't mind emailing the church and letting us know. Um, Ladies Fellowship Worship Night, that's Monday, September 28th at 6.30. Um, join the ladies of the church as they pray and worship together. All right, let's stand and continue worship.
Pastor Shane, that you would speak through him, and that the whole church would be blessed today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I think kids are excused for Kids Rock.
Good morning, you guys. I know we noticed something the other day. I was looking at my schedule, and I realized that in the last six weeks, I've only been here twice preaching. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what vacation looks like, right? Man, I got to tell you, one of the things that I miss and have missed over the last few months is hearing you all sing. Um, there, there are many things that I miss uh, when, when we were shut down and, and not, not gathering, but one of, one of the great blessings of being together, gathering together, is hearing people praise the Lord and sing together. So what a joy that was, and, and what a great song uh, to end with, or to not end with, we're not done yet, but to transition with. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but growing up, I happened to be a very distractible child. Uh, in fact, I demonstrated that this morning. I was interacting with somebody that came in, and we started talking about the, the sermon. And before long, I was talking about discipleship, had nothing to do with what's going on today. And I realized, I'm like, I got to get focused. I have to preach in a few minutes. And uh, that's kind of my life. And I, I know that that's part of my personality. Uh, it tends to make me fun with some people. It tends to drive others really nuts. Um, and growing up, it particularly drove my father nuts. Um, because one of the things that I would do is in the midst of projects, he'd give me all kinds of things to do. We'd have, de- you know, lists of chores that were to be done, and he'd have things that he wanted to accomplish. Things like, uh, you know, mucking out stalls with a pitchfork and a wheelbarrow. Well, I happened to be a young man that favored myself as a bit of an inventor and a little bit of an ingenious person. So I would spend most of a day trying to come up with a more efficient way to move the poo. And typically, it would result in none of it getting done. Imagine that, a young, a young man engaged in trying to find a way out of work resulted in no work. And uh, my father would come home, and he would not be very happy. Uh, and he would often try, times try to find ways to keep me focused on the task, uh, even to the point of encouraging me, you know, if you just pick up the pitchfork and grab the wheelbarrow, you'd be done in 20 minutes. And then I would be still doing it at 4 and 5 o'clock in the evening because I hadn't done it in the morning when I was scheduled to do it. So I think at times Jesus deals with this with his disciples, right? Those, those boys were hard to keep focused. If you read the stories, they were easily distracted. They were passionate and, and pretty easily distracted. Um, and, I, and I really believe that that's part of what Jesus was dealing with at times, and rightfully so, even in our own hearts. How many of you are easily distracted by life? Whether it's physical or, or emotional or financial, whatever the issues are, there are moments where we're, we're trying to follow Christ. We want to be good disciples, and we're engaged in the process, and, and, and then all of a sudden we're like, Wait, I've been doing my own thing for like days or weeks or hours or whatever, whatever that reality is. And I think that the Lord knew that. Actually, I know he knew it because he created us. And he knows us well. Jesus is again encouraging his disciples in the text this morning. He's actually, it's, it's interesting, this, uh, the last few weeks of, of Mark have actually been answering the question that the disciples gave him in Mark chapter uh, 13, verses 3 and 4, which we won't read this morning, but uh, the basic idea was, okay, so when is this going to take place? What's, the, what's happening? What are the signs? And when is it going to happen? Would you at least lay that out for us? And Jesus takes the next few verses, as we've read in uh, Mark chapter 13, and then begins to explain the trials that are coming, 
the, the cosmic events that are coming, the signs that will be present so that they can see and know what's going to happen. And when we get to verse 32, he, gives, he refers to specifically the day and the hour, and he, he lays out how they should respond. So let's look at that this morning, and we're going to attempt to get through um, this particular passage uh, with the few verses that we have today. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. You know, on a, when, I, when I first opened this, I thought, man, five, six verses, this, will be, this is going to be great. It's going to be simple. And as I began to wrestle with the text, I realized I don't have time for this today. And so we're, I'm going to do my best to consolidate and, and to get us through here. But I want you to know that there's a ton more in, involved in this. We're going to take a short rabbit trail um, and look at who Christ is in his humanity and in his deity, um, because I think it's super important that we do this. But here's Jesus answering the question for his disciples. They want to know when it's going to happen. They want to know what the signs are. And he says, nobody knows about the time or the day. So the answer is, no. Tell us when. And he goes, I don't even know. That, that's the answer. It's, it's not for us to know, but the Father knows. And so what is his encouragement to them? It is to be on your guard and keep awake. So here's, we're going to take a rabbit trail real quick. And, and again, it's not really a rabbit trail. It's, part of the, it's, it's an important theological view that we hold in, in Christian, uh, Christianity is this idea of incarnation, that Christ is both human uh, and he is also God. One of the spots that we see in this particular area uh, that no one knows, and we don't, we don't need to know, actually, Jesus, or, uh, Paul himself says in 1 Thessalonians, we don't really even need uh, to know this. And, and look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. When we start considering the times and the dates and, and the, the approach to the end times, look at, look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, considering the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day is to, uh, to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Sorry, double-checking my verses here. Verse 9. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul reminds the disciples that you're aware of how Christ is coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. Nobody knows. Paul's encouraging the church to remember these words of Jesus and and to be focused on the hope that they have in salvation, in Christ, the hope of salvation uh, in the midst of all of these things. And and Jesus himself says what? That only the Father knows. In fact, I love this this moment with his disciples. So he's sharing that in Mark as he's going to the cross. He's actually sharing this reality. He's he's sharing the end times and and the return of Christ. And we pick up the the, the similar part of the story, kind of the end of the story before Jesus leaves in Acts chapter 1. And it's amazing how how Jesus does this in in the response to his guys. I I love what he does here. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And the text says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, remember what's happened here, right? Christ has died. They watched that whole thing happen. He's been raised to life again. So they're witnessing his resurrected body. They've spent the last few days with him as he's teaching them and encouraging them. And then he comes to this moment, and the disciples are like, Is it now? Are, are we doing the kingdom thing now? This is, I mean, you've died. We suffered. It's over, right? Now the kingdom. Listen, you guys, I would absolutely be in that spot with them. Would you not be with them? I think we would if we saw him die and then we witnessed him alive again. We would be like, that's not normal. This is something spectacular that's happening right now. And the disciples turn and they say, Lord, is this the time? Are you going to set the kingdom and restore it back to Israel? In verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here the disciples are anticipating this great and mighty restoration of Israel because the king has been raised from the dead and he's been restored. The Messiah is here and they're engaging Christ and he goes, you don't need to know the seasons or the times. My father but has fixed this and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that I told you about and then you're going to be empowered to go do what I've told you to do. Go and be my witnesses. And I love the fact that we get the human story. Their boys are standing there going, why? He just blew up their whole world again. Just wrecked their whole, their whole philosophy of what was going to happen. They thought they had it figured out and dialed in, and they were still not seeing it from God's perspective. They were still caught up by the momentary earthly things that were around them. And you guys, I'm not, I'm not beating them up because that's exactly what I would have done. 
if I, I mean, I wouldn't have even been there. I would have been one of the ones calling crucifying, probably. I wouldn't have been one of the disciples. But had I been there, I think I would have responded very similarly. And even here, Jesus is reminding his disciples, these are things that are fixed by the Father's authority. God the Father knows the time, and he's bringing this to be at, his, at, at the right time. And Jesus reminds us in Mark that he, he, not even the Son knows, and this is where we start looking at the incarnation, the, the limitations that Jesus had on him being a man. Right? And we know that from Philippians 2. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do all of the context like I normally do with all the verses, just because as you can see with my footnotes, I have a lot to try and get through this morning so that you can see uh, some of this reality. But um, hopefully, you, I think you have notes, study notes with some of the scripture down on there. And if you need to, I can get you the rest of, I have other study notes or other scripture as well. But in Philippians 2, we'll actually see this, this laid out for us. Uh, by Paul about this man, this Messiah, uh, this God uh, on earth named Jesus, who intentionally chose obedience uh, to to take the form of a human body. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus took on the limitations of a human body, and we know, we know that uh, from other texts as well. Uh, just a couple of passages, just so you can get a glimpse of his humanness. And, and there's way more text on both sides of this, but I just wanted to take a moment and remind us of who Jesus is, that he, that he experienced uh, the human elements similar to, to us. Um, in fact, Hebrews speaks about it very directly, but I'm not, I'm not going to be able to grab all of those texts. This morning, but look in Luke chapter two, uh, dealing with his human side. Chapter two, verse fifty-two. This is the story of Jesus going to the temple, and his parents are lo- lost him. That's always an encouraging thing when your when your kid doesn't come with you when you leave in church. Reminds me, just a brief side note. We were going to Mexico one time, and uh, we actually picked up a child at a rest stop down in the middle of California. Picked up a student from another youth group. We had him with us for three and a half hours trying to catch up to their caravan that was going down to the same place we were to build homes. Turned out the young man got distracted by a girl. Imagine that. And to his chagrin, I did not let them ride in the same car together for that three hours. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to reward that behavior. Anyway, sorry, I digress. There's human realities about our, about our physical uh, situations. So here's Jesus. He's not showing up. He, he, he comes back, and his mom and dad are asking him what's going on. And there's this story of him in front of the, 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 the priests, and they're all marveling at this young man and his handling of the Scripture and, and all of those things. We get to chapter 2 of Luke, verse 52, and it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here is the child Jesus, the human child Jesus, who is growing and increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He's growing up. And it's noticed and it's seen in in his humanness. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 tells us this. 
This is more towards the end of his, of his life that's described here, but it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, let that sink in for just a few minutes. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here in his flesh, Jesus is crying out to the Father, saying, God, if there's any other way. And the text said he was heard. God heard his prayers. And Jesus, although he was a son, learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus experienced, as you and I do, the human limitations, the temptations of being in a human body. That's one side of him. What's so incredible, though, is that he's also God. And you guys, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't completely understand this. I don't know how the two can coexist and how this works. In, in totality, I, I really don't. But look at what look at what John chapter two tells us about Jesus. I, I, this is one of my favorite texts, um, and I, I kind of forgot because I don't, you know, I don't always go back and grab these texts out. They're not the ones you normally preach on a Sunday morning because most people don't really want to hear some of this stuff. But look at what Jesus says in John, or the the our text says in John chapter two, as John is describing the life of Jesus here. John chapter two, verse twenty three. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all the people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus was a big popular guy. He was growing in fame and, and all of this stuff, and he didn't entrust him. He didn't... He didn't Take a big deal about all of their fandom. He was not impressed by their impression of him. Why? It says because he knew what was in them. Side note, not in the text. This is a bonus passage. So you might want to write this one down. I was asleep last night, or I wasn't asleep. I was laying awake thinking about this, and I'm like, ah, I missed this. I can't, we can't not do this because it's so important we understand. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you are good at discerning people? Sometimes we are. There's some of us that are pretty good. You, especially, I think especially as we age and we work with people a lot, we, can, we tend to kind of start figuring out how they work. Uh, especially, if, you know, I like it now as a middle-aged, uh, aging young man. Uh, I, I watch younger men and I'm like, <laughs> got you figured out. And uh, it drives, doesn't it drive your boys crazy when you're like, yeah, whatever. Just drives them nuts when they think you know what they're thinking. It's even better when they actually turns out you did, but um, that's neither here nor there right now. But what's really, really incredible is how Jesus dealt with people. He knew what they were thinking. Who can do that? Can you, do we really know the motivations of the heart of other people? How does that work in your marriage when you assign heart motive to something that your spouse does? Not well. Young people don't do that. It does not end, you know, that, typically that's where we get into our best fights. My bride's trying to help, and I assign a motive to it, and I get offended. 
I'm just letting you all process that for just a second. We can't even figure out the heart motive of the one that we're the closest to, let alone everyone else. And look at what Jesus does. He says, I know man. I know what's in them. Who does that? No one but God. No one but God. Look at what uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says. Um, hopefully you, you have your Bibles. You can write it down in your notes. Jeremiah 17, 9. Won't be up on the screen. I didn't even tell the team about it on purpose. Because, I don't know, I guess I was just being honored, and I want you to look it up in your own Bibles. You should probably highlight this passage. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts are so desperately wicked, only God can evaluate him, and he will judge us based on our hearts. And here we see Jesus in his humanness, limited abilities that he accepted willingly, as we saw in Philippians, but he also is God, and he knows the heart of men. He can read their hearts, and he adjusts and deals with them. We see that over and over in the text where he's actually dealing with the Pharisees and calling them out on the things that they're thinking. Only God can do that. John chapter 16, verse 29. I love this. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. You see what the disciples, they're like, finally, you're just telling us how it is. You're not using parables. You're just getting it to us straight. That's the disciples' response. In verse 30, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Only God can say those things. Only God can offer peace in the midst of tribulation, a peace that transcends the physical tribulation that these men experienced in their lives. There's, there are many more passages. We don't have time for them this morning. But I just wanted us to take just a second and wrestle with the reality of what Christ is saying here about who he is. Not even the Son of Man at that moment in history was aware, not even Jesus was aware of when God had determined for the end to happen. In his human limited, the, the limitations of his humanness, he was not aware of that. And yet he was still God. And he understood the hearts of man. He knew the hearts of man. Okay, rabbit trail over. Isn't that cool? You guys, do you, we need to wrestle with that reality. That's the Jesus that we profess to follow. The world wants to say that he's just a good man. He was a good prophet. He, he, he spoke good things. He lived a moral life. They, they would like to downplay the deity of who Christ is. Why? Because it's complicated. It's hard to put it all together. But it also makes what he says very authoritative, ultimately authoritative. Because when the God of the universe tells us to do something, 
naturally our response should be, yes, sir. Aren't we? We're good at that, aren't we? Responding to authority, especially like when our dad tells us something to do, we're like, oh, dad, I'd love to go do that for you. When the Lord gives us directives in scriptures, it was like, first priority, Lord, I'm on it, Lord, whatever you want. Die to yourself. Hold on. Can't I have a good life here? Okay, that was, that was a low blow. I apologize. I struggle with that, you guys. I really struggle with that. There was a time in my life where I thought, man, God, I've given up everything to follow you. I, as a young pastor, working two jobs and uh, trying to go to school, there was a time where I thought, I've given up all of my dreams of having money and cars and a nice house and, and all of that. I, I didn't realize how incredibly selfish I was at that time and how naive I was about what it means to follow the Lord, and he was very gracious. And God is gracious with his disciples here, right? He actually gives them an illustration, one to follow. So let's take a second and look at what Jesus actually directs his disciples to focus on in the midst of them not knowing when the time is, not knowing when uh, the, the day and the hour of his return will be. He actually equates it to this story of a man. A man goes on a journey. We, uh, we jump back into the text in verse 33, uh, or actually 34, and he says, It is a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands a doorkeeper to stay awake. So we have this illustration, this story of a man that leaves on a journey and puts his servants of his household into their jobs. He gives them the tasks, puts them in charge of those, and has them addressing that and doing those things. What I love, and one of the things that he, that he actually highlights here is that he leaves them in charge. They have a responsibility, they have a task, they have something to do. Is it important? Yes, it's incredibly important. The master of the home has said, here, this mine is yours. You are responsible to get the task done. He left it in their hands to do. What I love about one of the things that he points out in this is he actually says, each with his work. So who was responsible to get it done? All of them. Yes. Everyone that was in that home, everyone had a responsibility, something to get done, a, a task to accomplish. You know, the worst part is, I think when we start thinking about the church, we all label different tasks and we have different priorities of what the work looks like. Ooh, almost went over the edge. How many of us see servanthood as being the highest priority in the kingdom of God? Let's just be honest. I don't have, we don't have a list of people lining up offering to clean the toilets. It doesn't exist. Many of you have. Many of us have served in that way. But every person in the kingdom of God, unless Ephesians 2.10 is just wrong, unless Ephesians 2.10 is completely off base and Paul lied about the whole thing, if you don't know what that verse says, write it down, and you got to go look it up later, because I'm not sharing with you today. But that's, it's important for us to understand this, 
the kingdom of God, this idea of Christ's return is that he's left us in charge of getting accomplished what he's called the church to get accomplished. Each with his work. (laughs) This is so cool. Do you know what your job is in the church? Do you realize that it can't be Sunday morning? Some of you can. Some of us do. There's different pieces. But the real work of the church is every day, all week long. That's where the real work of the church happens. Isn't that cool? Yes. Oh, Pastor Shane, that's amazing. It is, it's amazing that God has entrusted his kingdom, the work of the kingdom, to you and me. I heard it said once that if you would have given it to the dogs, the job would have already been done. Because they can be trained and they're obedient. We are not of that stock. We are problematic and challenging. But yet, that's God's plan. Look at what he says in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And we won't read all the text. There's more in here to grab. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You guys, this is not all of them. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul was taking out a portion of them, and he says, listen, you all have different gifts. Go and do them. Go and engage in them with with the power of the Spirit, with with the zeal and passion that comes from knowing that the King of Kings, God Himself in Jesus Christ, left us with this command to be engaged in being the church while He's gone, anticipating His return. And that's what He's saying when He tells us to be on guard and stay awake. It's not that it's not that we're we're, we're standing around with our swords out, going nobody's getting close. We're anticipating his return. We're awake. We're alert. We're actively engaged in what he's called us to do, anticipating and, and, and being ready for his return. In fact, uh, Ephesians 6, 18, uh, it's one of, one of our great passages. It comes right after the armor of God, and it's, it's in all this preparation. And I love what Paul says, right? He's, he's given us all these battles that's coming, the spiritual warfare that comes. And then he says, and when you've done everything to stand, stand. Wait, wait, I've done everything to stand and I'm exhausted and I'm worn out and I'm tired. He says, stand. And he challenges us to do that. And then in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, this is his, this is his, uh, uh, his encouragement to the church. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplications to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. His conclusion to the warfare and the the spiritual battle that we're engaged in, the the, the battles that we're going to face as believers, as the church, is to put on the armor of God and then pray. Pray. You know, we've been challenged to pray this Saturday with the event that they're doing, the, the nation trying to gather people to pray. Our church offers a monthly family prayer time on the last Tuesday of the month where we're encouraging people to come and pray. 
Surprisingly, it's not illegal in this country for us to pray in our homes. You could do that on your own, safely. You could pray however you want then. Hands up, hands down. You could do all kinds of stuff. Was Paul's life easy when he was encouraging the church to do this? They were suffering. They were suffering for the gospel. And his cry to the church was pray. Pray. Part of being awake, part of being alert, is to be in prayer with our Father. What a great privilege it is that we have to pray. I want to encourage you. If prayer is not a regular part of your life, then you are missing out on deep, deep, meaningful relationship with the Lord. It's one of the greatest ways. If, if we can be in the Word and in prayer, it's one of the greatest ways to keep people that are easily distracted like myself focused. It's, it's really about the only way to keep me focused without like painful stimulus. That's just the reality of my life. And I hate it, but it's true. I don't hate it. I get frustrated with it because I get frustrated that I'm so easily distracted and I, I'm constantly having to confess bad attitudes and, and share my junk with people. I just, ugh, I'd love to actually have that polished Christian pastor life that just looks good. But it's not true, it'd be a lie. Pray. Are you praying? Have you wrestled with prayer this week? Have you wrestled with with the issues of your life this week in prayer with our Father? Part of what we're going to see as we wrap up this morning is some spectacular truth about who He is. And hopefully it will encourage you, as it has encouraged me this week, to stay focused, to stay alert, and to keep my eyes on the King. Look at what Luke says in chapter 12, starting in verse 35. We're supposed to live in anticipation, I believe, and this is what he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch, Or in the third, or finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We are being challenged to to stay awake, to be alert, to be ready, to anticipate. You guys, one of our greatest illustrations is Christmas presents as a kid, right? Right? I mean, it's a poor illustration. It does not match 
the, the, the grandeur of wait, awaiting the coming Messiah, but I think we can ga- grasp a little bit about what anticipation looks like. Okay, do you guys remember getting Christmas presents as a kid? Okay, because some of you are looking at me like, did we do Christmas presents? Man, as a kid, you could not, I mean, I don't know about you, I could not sleep the night before. I was, I mean, I would fall asleep, but it was not because I had gone to bed and laid my head down on the pillow. My head was running. There was some point that I would drift off to sleep and I wouldn't remember it, and I'd be up first thing in the morning. We were those, in fact, I had four of those kids, three of them. One of them didn't get up very early, but the other three were always up way before us on Christmas morning would be waking us up. But the anticipation, it would build all year long. I didn't know what I was getting. All I knew was there was a great gift. There was something coming. Now, you have to understand, there was a season in our life. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. My throat is very, very dry. There was a season in our life where my dad was laid off during Christmas for most of the winter. He was doing construction. And uh, I remember one Christmas, we had nothing. We didn't even have a tree in the house. And it was Christmas Eve when we went to bed. And I still, to this day, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was somebody from the church. I don't know if it was family. I don't know how it happened. But we woke up that morning to a tree and Christmas presents. Now, what does that mean? It's meaningless in the scope of the Messiah, but it it tells us this. We can remember some of those moments, that anticipation, that, that hope. That, that we're getting something. We don't even know what it is. And what's so amazing about this reality, what, what Jesus is trying to share with his disciples, is that we know what's coming. We actually get to look in the package ahead of time. Well, we don't know when it's coming, but we know what it is. I honestly believe that he did this on purpose. Because if he would have told me when it was coming, I would have waited until the day before to get ready. That's the reality of my heart. Now, some of you are planners, and I know you guys would have been ready a long time before he got here. And maybe he'd given him some advice on how he could have sped it up. But the reality is, is that Christ, by God's design, the Father has left us with this particular nugget that says, I'm coming back, you don't know when, be ready. Live with anticipation. Live with preparation, with your eyes focused on me, and be found awake when I return. Luke 21 shares with us uh, more along that line. Luke 21, verse 34. It says this, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. See that? You see what he was encouraging his, the believers? He goes, you guys, you're going to get tempted to, to get distracted. You're going to get tempted to get worn out, discouraged, eyes off of the prize, and be found not awake. 
not ready for the Lord. I want to close with this, partic- this passage in 2 Peter. I love this passage because Peter was one of the guys asking the question, right? Peter was one of the guys saying, okay, Lord, when? Peter was one of the guys standing there as Jesus went up into the clouds with his mouth open going, what, what is this? I love that two angels showed up and like, hey, boys, what are you doing? Go to work. You got stuff to do. I love that. Look at what Peter says. This is towards the end of his life. It's his second letter. And I, I don't know the exact time frame, but I know he's not far from being crucified or martyred for his faith. But look at what he says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this the wor- of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heaven, heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in in, uh, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a ton in there, and I realize that we we ran over a bunch of things, but isn't it interesting that Peter is encouraging the church to look back at the promises of the, the holy prophets, to remember the commandment that the Lord gave them. What was the commandment? Go and make disciples. That was his commandment. He actually gave them another one. Love as I've loved, right? He, he is directing them. Peter is reminding them of those things. And then he speaks of scoffers that will come that are following their own sinful desires who will say, he's not coming back. There's nothing changing. In fact, to the point where they are deliberately forgetting that the God that spoke the universe into existence also wiped it out with a flood and will someday bring judgment. Are we not in a culture that has been intentionally, deliberately ignoring God's truth, who he is, trying to wipe that away? Yes, we are. 
We have seen that now for, for many generations in, in an attempt to completely write God out of science and out of history and all of these truths to say they're not truth. This is merely just a book that's lasted for generations that we can't quite get rid of, no matter how hard we try. It just keeps coming back, and it keeps changing lives. And then Peter ends with the hope that the promise that we're waiting for is a new heaven and a new earth. Although all of this that we see is awaiting the judgment of God for all of the the deeds and works that have been done as it will face, the hope that we have is in Christ, our Messiah, who's coming back to restore all of it and make a new heaven and a new earth. You and I have great hope, but we've also been called to our work. I gotta tell you, it's super easy for me to get distracted with life. Super easy for me to get discouraged about the things that I see happening in our culture, the things that I watch happen in the church, the things that I watch happen in my own life. And I can find myself very discouraged and and, and it, at times feel like, man, what's the point? Maybe I should just wander off and go read my Bible somewhere and, and pull an Elisha. That's a joke. Man, you guys. We all get discouraged, though. This is not easy. I, I, I'm acknowledging that, but look at the hope that we have. Jesus, who as he is describing for his disciples what this end time, what his return looks like, he says, don't worry about the day, be ready. Be about the work that I've given you, be ready. That's our command. That's our charge. That's what should consume our time, is actually pursuing the Lord and saying, God, what do you want me doing? What does it look like for me to be faithfully alert and ready in your church? What does it look like for me to know the hope of your salvation so that when I see all of these things taking place in the world, I can say it's okay, it is well with my soul because God is in control. And the same God that spoke the universe into existence is the one that says, go and be about my work and be ready for me to show up. Because there's great hope in the end of all of this process because I'm coming back to restore my kingdom. Do you guys realize that we can joyfully address the world today regardless of the cost? Okay. Do you guys realize that we can joyfully address the world today regardless of the cost? We can. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of any of our own qualities, but because God in Christ Jesus as our Messiah has conquered the world. And in that hope, he's waiting for us to get what we've been called to do done. He's he's actually being patient for us so that we would get about his work. And what's so beautiful about it, he knew us. He created us. And it was all part of his plan. And each of us have been given our work. Man, aren't you ready to go? Like, 
What's, what's your week going to look like this week? You know, one of the challenges that I run into, one of the things that so frustrates me with my own life is that I read this stuff, and then a couple days later, I'm looking at my life going, what changed? What changed? I still get up, and I, I still have to be reminded to do my Bible reading. I still have to re- be reminded to love my bride. I still have to be reminded to treat people nice on the road, to, to think about others when I'm going to work. I still have to be reminded to do all these things that are, uh, that are not selfishly mine. What's so incredible that in, in the, the, the last passage uh, there in Luke, Jesus actually says, he promises that when he comes back, he's going to dress to serve those who are awake. The king is going to prepare himself to serve them at the feast. I have something to look forward to. I have something to passionately pursue in my life. It just doesn't happen to be now. Yeah, it's for then. And I don't know when then is exactly. But the call is to be about his work, what he's called us to do. Don't get distracted by when it's going to happen. Don't lose heart because we see the world coming undone and the world pursuing their sinful desires and the world trying to write God out of Scripture. You realize he, they can't do that? Because the truth of who God is is true whether they believe it or not. The truth of who God is is true whether you and I believe it or not. The truth of the end of the world and the judgment that's coming, is it doesn't matter what we think or believe or how worried we are. It doesn't matter. It's true. And we can trust in that, and we can live in that truth. And we have the amazing scripture that actually shows us stories of men who by faith walked in that light, and God has protected this Bible through generations after generations of people trying to destroy it, the enemy trying to destroy it. And yet we can go back to this thing and find that it still holds the same line of truth and it teaches us accurate biblical theology about who God is and it changes people's hearts supernaturally. I love the fact that our world right now is trying to do everything to make the place safer and nicer. That's the, you realize that's their desperation, right? They want to make everything fair, everything safer, everything nicer, everything, everything cleaner, better. And yet the problem is, is that it's the, the wretchedness of the heart is what is the problem. And the only thing that changes that is Jesus. What's your work? What do you got? What has God called you to do? What has he created you to do? Ephesians 2.10, that's your homework verse for this week. Make sure you write that down and grab it. Father, Thank you for the reality of your text. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I confess this morning that, man, I'm distracted by life so easily. Whether it's news reports or it's uh, um, family members in our church who are sick or if it's our own family issues, it's, if it's um, house issues or, or money issues or car issues. Father, I'm distracted by all of that. I'm even distracted by the busyness of church sometimes, by the programs and and all the things and planning that we do. And it takes me away, Lord, from really being about what you've called me to do. 
and that is to love you and love others. Make disciples and teaching them to obey. And it, I'm honestly struggle with even, you know, what does that look like? Just in the sense of there's so many programs and so many books on it. Um, Lord, I, I just want to be about what you're doing. So would you open our eyes to your word this week? Would you open our eyes through through prayer? I, God, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to pray, to speak to you, to open our ears um, to your word and to open our eyes to, to the text and to hear from you. Lord, we're, we're challenged to pray for strength, boldness, that we would be able to stand during the, the trials that come. Because in this earth, on this earth, we will have tribulation if we follow you. In fact, probably the more, the more we follow you, the more we actually speak the truth of the word, the gospel, the more tribulation we're going to face. And yet our hope is in our risen Messiah who has overcome the world and who has said, I will return for you. Help us to trust you more in that reality. Help us to live by faith. And in the midst of that, model your truth, model what it looks like to love one another as a church, family here locally, but also God is a church in our communities. May you be glorified in the worship of your church today. In your name, amen.